Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Jordan is on best. Harper's on Miller. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I am your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you have not, please be sure to rate and review the podcast over on Apple Podcasts. That really helps us out, grow this thing, get some more exposure. Um, you know, we're doing some great stuff here, so I'm really excited for what we got going on. Would uh, would love any feedback. Um, I'm really excited today. We're finally starting. I've been saying I'm going to do it for uh, for like a month now, and we're finally starting draft coverage. Really excited to have on Ben Pfeiffer from the Prep to Pro podcast. Uh, he does some great stuff with Max Carlin, and they're kind of my go-to for listening to stuff on the draft. So if you have not already followed their work, be sure to do so. Uh, ben, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. I'm very excited to talk Pacers. It's like kind of a throwback for me. I know, right? So we're, we're, we have like our nice little mingling and inter- intercrossing between our realms because I talk about the Pacers 99% of the time. You talk about the draft 99% of the time. So we get to cross over a little bit and have some yeah. fun. Yeah, it's been a while. I, yeah. I'm excited. Well, unfortunately, we have to start off by talking about uh, some uh, some exciting stuff that went down today that I wasn't ready for. Um, Jay Michael of the Indy Star uh, dropped a report about Victor Oladipo um, and his allegedly, uh, not even allegedly, I mean, it's been backed by like three or four sources now and somebody from the Miami Heat uh, co-sponsored it. Um, basically saying that that he in game was saying, you know, can I come play for you guys to, to people on the other team? So uh, man, with the entire sequence of everything that's gone down with Victor already, this is just uh I don't even know what to think anymore, man. This is like, I, I debated even if we would talk about it because I thought more stuff would drop, but um, it's been wild, man. Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's just like, it feels like a trade is just coming. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe something involving draft picks with some team. I mean, seems like if, if a trade were to happen, I feel like draft night certainly could be with, you know, the Pacers only picking like late in the second, so. Yeah, I mean, well, what's what makes it even worse is that uh, Victor Oladipo's sister pulled an Anna Horford and just like went in and um, essentially called out Miles Turner in a subtweet, and Miles responded, and I'm sure Team PR is just at their wits end right now and took yeah. everybody's phones away because um, now nothing's happened since then, uh, as far as I know. But I mean, that was that was bad. This is like 2014 team chemistry falling apart bad. So I. Uh, you know, originally when, when Nate Bjorken was hired, I don't know if you watched the opening presser, but it seemed like the team was like very much so dead set on going in with, with kind of the same roster and, and seeing what it looks like with the new staff. 
I think that's kind of out the window now with how far everything's gone. Yeah, I mean, it seems like they're going to have to make some kind of changes. I mean, Bjorken's got his work cut out for him. I mean, I'm excited to see what he does with it. But. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it'll be good in a sense because you ha- you have to start up a trade right away. Like, I think it's just going to be too much of a – I don't like using the word cancer, but to an ex- extent, like, I mean, it's a cancer in the locker room if you start the season like this. So, I don't know, man. Hopefully, uh, we get out of this soon. Um, but – and getting into talking about the draft stuff, I want to open up just kind of by talking about your draft philosophy and how you look at stuff and um, and then kind of going in on some individual prospects from there. So I think, you know, in kind of a piece I'm working on and trying to envelop everything um, as I talk to more draft people and, and, and get ready for this. Um, I mean, I think looking at the Pacers, you can look at them and I mean, they've been a really consistently pretty good franchise, not a great franchise uh, over the last you know, 20, 25 years. Um, really strong front office. They always have pretty good leadership in place. Um, and I think kind of the last step for them to become like a really, it's not like they're not respected, but like a Spurs like team. And obviously that's almost impossible to do, but I think the last thing for them is hitting in the draft because in in Kevin Pritchard's uh, time here and in Larry Bird before him, I mean, they really have not drafted well. Um, granted they've been in tougher spots to draft, but at the same time you look at a team like even Denver right now, they got to where they are because they rarely miss the pick. Um, every guy that they've drafted becomes a contributor and can't say the same for the Pacers right now. So I think um, just like kind of right off the bat, that's what I think is kind of the next step for the Pacers to develop as an organization. Yeah. I mean, they haven't been the best with their first round picks in you know the past. I mean, TJ Leaf um, still kind of haunts me. Yeah. Same thing. Hey. But I mean, yeah, I mean, this draft are, I mean, they aren't exactly in a position. I mean, traded the, the I mean, Milwaukee has Indiana's pick, um, and they only pick 54. And luckily, I mean, there's not really any pressure to bring home anything serious with the 54th pick. But I mean, if there's like a trade with Oladipo or any or you know anybody else, um, definitely could find their way into like the lottery or um, the de- early 20s. I mean, the 20s. I'm sure Victor Oladipo would net, but. Yeah, I mean, it's I'm interested to see what, you know, what what Pritchard and like the new staff is going to want to do this year. So, yeah, no, I agree. Um, and I think one of the biggest things I look at, too, like everybody's like, oh, it's just the 54th pick. And I think the, I mean, obviously, for the most part, second round guys are hit or miss. You know, it, it just kind of depends on how your team views them and um, how they get built out. But I think, I mean, you look at I mean, it, it's just for me because I look at a guy like Aaron Holiday. He's been lucky to break through the way he has. Um, I mean, his rookie year hardly even played. Um, his minutes were super inconsistent. Um, even this last year too, with how Nate McMillan ran, um, ran his rotations. I mean, once the full team was back and healthy with Malcolm and Vic, I mean, he was barely playing coming off the bench. Um, so I think, I mean, having the bubble for, for him was huge. And you look at Goga now, I'm really nervous about them bringing back Miles and Domas and then Goga just getting no development again without um, summer league again. Um, so uh, I mean, not again, but like without having an actual, well, no, he didn't play in summer league last year. Uh, cause he, uh, he had issues with his visa getting over. Um, but I don't know. Like, I think the difference of like having that guy on a rookie scale contract that can be a contributor if you draft him at 54, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that's able to jettison you up as a franchise. Like if you can do that instead of having like, okay, so you, you draft the guy who's probably not going to be an immediate impact at 54, but maybe there are some guys and um, in, in a year or two, they develop to being a real rotation guy. Um, and instead of having to spend like the, the BAE or part of the MLE, you, you have that on a rookie scale deal. So I think that's the kind of stuff that really can help you get hired as a franchise. 
Yeah, I mean, you certainly can't bank on like uh, a 54th overall yeah. pick being like a rotation player. But I mean, like it does happen. I mean, like two years ago, like the, the 54th pick uh, was Shake Milton, who like, has started in playoff games now for Philly. I mean, if you just look at like Edmund Sumner was was a pick in the 50s for the Pacers. And like I still have like pretty unwavering belief in Sumner as like, a useful rotation guy like like Monte Monty Morris in that same draft as the 50s. So there's certainly useful players to be had. Um, especially, you know, taking advantage of kind of those players who always inevitably tumble down draft boards for some reason that I think Pacers are a smart enough franchise where they can, you know, maybe pick up on someone like that. So, yeah, definitely interested to see what they end up doing. Yeah, for sure. So I think, you know, in asking you right away, I mean, how do you think a team like the Pacers should draft? Like when they're attacking the draft, um, not even just in this, uh, the 54th pick, but when you're looking at them in general, you know, a team that's trying to win, but doesn't really have it quite all the way to get there all the way. Um, so like, how do you view how they should try and draft? Obviously I think it depends based on where they're picking. I mean, if you're talking about this year, like I would just say go for the prospect who you think is the best available. Like, cause I, I don't think it's really worth worrying about like position and fit in like a late second. I think, I mean, I would, I, I tend to prioritize like wings at that time just cause they're scarcer than guards and bigs and, you know, they're more like, you know, getting a like a useful wing on a rookie deal is, is a bigger deal than getting a guard or, or, or a center. So I think wing forwards is what I like to target. Just going for some kind of ceiling, like just just for like, like an example in this draft, like I'd much rather take someone like Josh Hall, who's like a who's like a fifth year grad, like like wing with like six, seven wing, who's like got a really intriguing like scoring package and shooting touch. But, you know, it was very rough around the edges with, you know, his defense and his playmaking, mm-hmm. probably like a, 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 a classical project. Like I'd, I'd much rather like invest in him than someone like Peyton Pritchard, who is like a who's like a pretty steady, like great shooting point guard out of Oregon, four-year starter, who's probably, who like might be like a solid backup, but I don't think he really has a chance to do anything more. So like, even if Pritchard's chance of like sticking in the league is higher than Hall's, I'd much rather, you know, take the chance on Hall of that. Cause I, I, if he sticks, I think he could be, you know, a legitimately useful, like scoring pieces of rotation wing. That's, that's kind of my philosophy for like second round picks. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it always depends. Like, I don't think there, sh- I don't think I have, or nor should there be like any really like hard and fast rules for drafting. Uh, I think some basic ones like you, again, always like the, it's, it, the draft is a game of like upside and finding stars. So you want to prioritize, um, you know, like, especially at the top of the draft, I look, I prioritize advantage creation and shot creation as those are just kind of the things that the high level stars have. And obviously you want to look for, you know, outlier traits and skills, but just, you know, trying to find that star ceiling whenever possible, especially for a team like the Pacers. I think that's really important who are just always solid. But just like, just based on the way that the front office operates, they're not the type of front office to make like aggressive moves for like moves for stars. Like even like by virtue of just being like like a, a frugal and smart and front office who can in a front office who can win on the margins. Like they're gonna get good players. Like Vic, like the Paul George, like they landed like Paul George a star in the draft, and then they traded him for Victor Oladipo and Sabonis two pros. Like that was kind of a blair return at the time. But you know, two players that blossomed into stars. So I think 
the, the because the Pacers aren't a team that's you know that's shown they're willing to make you know make a trade and give up a ton of future assets to go get a star or you know and obviously they aren't really a free agent destination so it's always mm-hmm. going to be tougher for them to land the big the big stars in free agency just want to try to shoot for upside as much as you can like that, that especially for the Pacers like as opposed to a team like I don't know like like a team like Philadelphia that has like very specific needs like they like are a good team and have like a star power but they really need guys who can like shoot and, and you know create in the half court whereas the Pacers are like a pretty balanced like good team always solid defensively um just just need like star power and then someone who can really drive championship level offense yeah no definitely I think that makes sense um, the one thing that I'm definitely looking for is athleticism. I think that's kind of the only area that they're really lacking. Um, I mean, they're not a really high paced team, which I think will change. I mean, the bench was, um, but you just kind of lack a lot of top end athletes. I mean, Vic is when he's healthy. Um, but I mean, if you have, let's just say that the starting lineup is what it is, you know, so Vic Brogdon, um, Brogdon's kind of like an a athlete, like he's good, but he's not like somebody who's going to like, he's good at getting to the rim, but he's not great at getting separation. Um, I mean, TJ Warren's obviously like a shifty athlete, but he's not like awesome vertically. He's not super fast. Um, I mean, Domas is obviously really strong and then miles has great length, but that's kind of like his real calling card. Um, so I think that's kind of what I look forward to. And I think, um, it, one thing that I'm trying to, to, to get a better grasp on is how you, you, you try and factor in fit and potential. Cause I know, like you mentioned with the Pacers having balance, it's just, getting the best upside. And I, I, I would agree with that for sure. Again, I'm not an expert at the draft. I'm not trying to pass myself off as one, but just in watching the Pacers, like I feel like uh, they need a four, like so, or at least somebody who's kind of like a three, four mold because TJ Warren's really the only guy in the roster. Like Doug McDermott can play the four on offense, but he's not guarding fours. Um, even with, I mean, with Miles Turner, like I, I always call back to the you know, people listening to me annoyed because I think I've done this every single podcast for like a month, but you look back to the final game before the bubble, um, I mean, before the hiatus against Boston and as good of a perimeter defender for a center as Miles Turner is, I mean, he was getting killed going out to the corners um, on, on Tatum and Hayward. And same thing with Domas. I mean, he's just totally lost um, trying to get out to the weak side. Um, so I think that's kind of one of the things I look at just having someone on the bench who provides more versatility. doesn't even have to be a starter player. Like obviously you hope for that eventually, but I think that's what I look at. So like, how do you even try and weigh, all right, we need the highest upside, but we also need somebody who can kind of play like this. Um, yeah, I think especially when it comes to like the 50, like the 50th, like a late second round pick, like when I'm talking about highest upside, like you're almost never going to find like a star yeah. that late. Like, like teams have their problems when they draft, but they won't let, you know, a star slip that far. Um, you know, I, you know, I say that I, a couple guys who I think have star potential like slipped that far or in last year's draft, but generally you're not going to find like when I say upside, like I want upside, the upside of someone who's going to be a real rotation guy. And yeah. I, again, like the way, one of the ways to look for that is like looking for like, like, like wings with like wings with tools. So I can see them, you know, fitting in a rotation with their defense. And then if they end up um, improving their jumper, then that's a useful rotation player. Or maybe like a like a smaller guard with some like really exceptional creation skills that you know if if they turn out to be like a better shooter than I anticipate, then they could like stick as like a a bench scorer or like a big man that has maybe some athletic deficiency but has some really useful passing or shooting skill or like a, a really like athletic combo forward tight with like a, a high motor 
maybe show some skill, but generally it's just raw in terms of, you know, in, in basketball intelligence and skill. So I think um, this being, I think looking for upside and looking for like good rotation players later in the draft is kind of one and the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, yeah, again, like I don't think you really have to sacrifice um, one for the other as much as, you know, you might think people might think. Cause like I'm a big proponent that like, floor and ceiling aren't as far apart as people like think they are really like like, like they're, they're i think there are a lot fewer like high floor low ceiling prospects than people seem to think like and yeah. the example i like i love to give is uh, is lamello ball who i think has kind of been touted as like a high floor like low ceiling kind of prospect like yes everyone acknowledges you know his upside is high but they're like, oh yeah, like he he might totally flame out. Or I think just by the fact like he has those special skills, like he's six foot seven and like a genius passer um, and an elite ball handler. So even if he doesn't, you know, end up being a great shooter or improve his strength, like he he could still be a useful player. It's just like a kind of like a connecting guard who passes. So I think that's just like a, a top end example. But I think that example is salient throughout the draft. Is even if you're looking at like a wing, like like a wing forward like um with like some perceived upside like um someone i don't know like like jaden mcdaniels i think maybe like if he like unlocks his handle could have some scoring upside but i think more realistically is just like a a a rim a three and kind of like three and rim protection like a a wing forward who can hit hit spot up threes attack closeouts and protect the rim which is you know that's like a decent rotation player so i think that's kind of the way i like to parse that out Okay, yeah, that, that that totally makes sense. Um, so I'm ready to launch into some prospects too, and I'll ask you at the end. Well, I mean, obviously, I want to hash out on each guy because I'm sure you've seen more film on all of them than I have. Um, but then I, I'll, I'll ask you at the end too on, on some of your thoughts on, on prospects that you like that maybe we don't mention. Um, one of the first guys who, who I really got into the draft with, because I think I've been looking at getting into the drafts in summer, um, and I just, every time I pull up a big board and like list of names, I'm like, I have no idea where to start. Yeah. Um, and so fi- finally I did start. Um, and I, I don't know, it's, it's weird. I'll, I'll get to the name in a second, but I really like him. I think he's got, like you mentioned, I, I don't know about the upside necessarily, but I think he's a guy who could be close to immediate impact. I mean, he's a little bit on the older side, um, but he's funky because a lot of his weaknesses and deficiencies kind of come from him. Uh, he grew, he had like a massive growth spurt in college. Like he went from, he was six, five when he, um, first came onto the scene and, and played his freshman year and he's six, eight now. Um, so it's weird. Cause he's kind of, he's a combo forward, but he's really like got a lot more three skills. Um, but still like, obviously he's like the size of a four. He has awesome wingspan. Uh, it hasn't been like officially tested, but I think it was from last year at one of the combines he was at, but Malik fits, um, out of St. Mary's. Um, I, I, I'll, before I go on anymore, I definitely want to ask your thoughts on him just kind of preliminary. Yeah, I think Fitz is like would be an interesting bet um, at like in like the late second. I'm not like a huge fan of Fitz. Mm-hmm. I have him like in like the 70s or 80s on my board. But when you get that low, like the difference between like 40 and 80 is really not that much. Yeah. Um, just like you know the, the way the quick tangent, like just the way the draft scales, like like obviously like just like ordinarily, like there's much large. There's many more numbers between you know. 40 and 80 than there is between like one and 10, but first like the gap in quality between the best prospect in the draft um, and the 10th best prospect in the draft is like significant, but between 40 and 80, just like the way that the talent curve flattens, like there's not that much difference. So that's just like a quick way to explain, like, though I'm not like a huge fan of fits in a vacuum, I think he's like a fine gamble. Like, like you said, like as like a six foot eight wing, 
who has like some interesting shooting potential. Um, that's kind of like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really the appeal to me um, of Fitz. And like I said, like, like he is kind of like the type of bet I think you want late in late like late in the draft like i i'd prefer fits to again like to someone like peyton pritchard or like even like maybe marcus howard um some more popular names that are like smallish guards but yeah i mean he's like a 40 percent three-point shooter on a high volume over the last like couples pretty much like his whole career pretty much like his whole career he's been that um i mean i think he's developed a little more handling i i worry about his general decision making feel yeah as a main concern offensively defensively um just like whether or not he's like athletic enough to really like take advantage of of his size i mean he's like six foot eight and like kind of tries so he should be okay like i I worry about like if you if you i don't think he really moves super well um so yeah i mean i'm not like a huge fits fan but like i would definitely understand taking him because like he is you know like a six foot eight forward slash wing who's probably going to shoot and like has like some some perimeter skill so like if you can get him in like a uh an nba development and you know work on his defense and you know hope he hope he like actually a really good shooter because if he is then he, i think he becomes pretty interesting yeah yeah it's uh so in watching him it's funny because i was luckily i mean they played byu a couple times so he got absolutely demolished by Yoli Childs. Like, yeah, I mean, that's not so different because, like, he's listed as as I don't think he's actually heavier than Yoli Childs. Yoli Childs is listed oh, like two twenty five. There's no way. There's no way. He's like two fifty yeah. easily. Yeah, and, Yoli Childs is easily heavier. Oh, he's than a man. Kind of that's kind of a ridiculous measure. Yeah, honestly. No, I remember because I was watching that today, and I was like, "There's no way in hell that these guys are even remotely the same weight." Um, but yeah, I mean, like, so that's kind of where you see. Uh, you know, where, like how he was so small coming into college, like with a much less developed frame. Um, I think like in watching him again, I have to watch more still. Um, I I don't think he's like the worst laterally. Like I've seen him uh, in a couple games. He's good uh, or not good. Like he's passable. And you see like the idea of like, okay, he could tag and close out without getting completely killed. And he uses his length pretty well, but like no real vertical pop as a rim protector. Like I, that's, I think that's where a lot of people, um, are on him and that's kind of what i've seen as well like i think i saw him dunk it once watching like six or seven games which is like when you're yeah, six foot had, eight and the way yeah, i mean he does not dunk the ball um i'll pull up his dunk numbers right now but i know they're not good yeah no they're like, he didn't even he, he didn't like, even make it yeah, he got blocked. Th- like this last year he had 16 dunks um up from 13 his sophomore year and four in his freshman years like yeah, I mean, he's not really uh, – he. Like, yeah, I mean, that's just, like, the main – like, a real main concern. Like, I don't know if he's athletic enough to, to you know, make use of the skills that he does have. Like, like, like even if, you know, he can – I think he can dribble a little bit. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, he has some solid handling control, but, like, I don't know if he's actually, like, athletic enough, like, has the first step to get by anybody or, you know, just – or, like, really make, make use of, like – I think there's, like, a little bit of passing skill – passing flash, too, but uh, overall the consistency worries me. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I think like if he can actually play the four, which is like my question, like if he can actually be strong enough or like use his size, because it's like you mentioned a little little bit, like he's he's technically a four, but he plays like a wing still. Because it feels like in watching him that he's just not used to his body and being the size that he's at almost. Um, So I think that's kind of like if he can actually develop into being a four, like I think he has the ability to to play both the three, four. But yeah, I think putting on strength is probably his, his best chance. Yeah, definitely. And 
Um, but and like you mentioned with his shot selection, that was something I'm, I'm really curious about, too, to see if that can change in the NBA, because he wasn't the best player on his team. I think it was Jordan Ford, uh, definitely yeah, not the Ford best is- NBA prospect, but Ford was really good. Um, but I mean, he reminded me a lot of uh, obviously not in terms of like actual like athletic ability, because obviously he was a much better athlete, but reminds me a lot of Antoine Walker. Like he uh, looks beautiful doing what he's doing, but then the shot bricks. Like it just like, no matter what, it's just like, just slightly off. Like it's not quite there. Um, so yeah, I, I think if he can actually fit into his rotation and role, and like, that's another question I'd have for you, I guess. Like, how do you even try and, uh, realize is the wrong word, but like, how do you try and pin down if a guy's going to be able to, to shift into a smaller role as they transition to the league? Yeah. I mean, that's, 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 that, that's like the million dollar question. That's like a thing that we really can't know, but I think, yeah. I, but I think it's an important thing that you like, you have to consider role when you're talking about upside, like again, like, like Malik Fitz who like ran like a lot of his team's offenses, like not going to run any offense at the NBA. Level. Yeah. I think like, like his best chance is like fitting in probably as like a small ball stretch four. Um, like, like I, I agree with you there. Like, like you hopefully think he's, I think he's like probably capable enough to defend like bad, bad fours and wings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, you know, if you can shoot, that's like maybe a, that's maybe like an eighth or ninth man, which is with like a late second. That's all you can ask for really. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you have to like, think about like, what, like is the role that, that this prospect is playing analogous to the role they're going to play in the NBA and if if not, how is that role going to change, and are they going to be able to change? I mean, I look at someone like like going to the top of the draft, for example, like Anthony Edwards, who has been kind of like a primary offensive engine at every stop of his his, his basketball career, going back to you know high school and AAU and at Georgia. But I think uh, you know, as especially as a rookie, he's certainly not going to be able to do that at the NBA level. Yeah. So you're going to need a team who's willing to put him in a smaller role, you know, where he's focusing on cutting and spotting up and playing, you know, just locking in on defense. And I think he can definitely do that, but that's the thing you have to consider. Like what is his optimal role in the NBA? Like for Edwards, probably like, like, like a little bit, probably like at, at his ceiling, probably like a role that's like similar to his role in college, but like a little scaled down or like, or like another great example is like Mason Jones at Arkansas. Who's like, like the, the, who just like takes wild step backs and finishes mm-hmm. and is like, like a good offensive driver, but in, in the NBA just is not going to be that. So I, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, well, I, I mean, it's impossible to know like what, what a team is going to do with the prospects. And that's like, that's why, uh, you know, context and fit is so important, especially for this draft and, you know, understanding that post draft, um, you know, just because if you had a prospect really high um, and if they fall in a situation where their role is not going to be optimal like that, they're not going to succeed. So it, it, it's hard. Like that's yeah, it's part of like another reason why this whole draft thing is not easy. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. I think uh, it's interesting, too, because like uh, I, I meant to hit on this earlier, but you talked about how 40 through 80 is kind of analogous. Um, so in like looking at my draft, like I'm trying to put together a draft board just for Pacers picks. And I think I cross matched like eight different draft boards. So I took like the four big ones, uh, like Vicini and, uh, uh, Chad Ford. And, uh, I think it's Jeremy Wu from sports illustrated. And then I did like Cosmos and a couple other guys on draft Twitter as well. Like you look at a guy, like even Malik Fitz, like for some, I think Adam Spinella has him in his top 50 almost. Um, and then, you know, like you look at Cosmos and Cosmos has them in like the seventies or eighties. Like it's such a big difference in terms of looking at the variability of where guys can go. 
So I think it all just depends on like what you see and, and what's even there, if that makes sense. Yeah. And even that, I think like, I think if you ask somebody with like Malik Fitz in like the late forties or me with like Fitz in the eighties, I don't think we'd be that far off. Yeah. in your you like know, evaluation. really in our, like in our picture and evaluation of him, it's like, I just prefer other guys and have my issues, but like, you know, I like understand if you took him in the late second, like he's like a wing, he's like a wing forward who can shoot. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the next guy who I, uh, I watched a lot of the last couple of days and you talked about a guy with high motor, um, but I'm not really, yeah, there's, okay, I'll just say his name before, so I don't repeat the Fitz thing. Um, <laughs> it took like five minutes to say his name. Uh, Lamar Stevens out of Penn State. Um, he's another guy who's a little bit on the older side. I think he's going to be 23 by the time the draft rolls around. Um, but he's someone who I look at, and I think he's going to be an immediate impact guy on defense. Um, his offensive role is probably a lot less, uh, a lot less, easy to see because he was, I mean, the number one scoring option at Penn state started every single game. He was there, um, but really was not a floor spacer, but he did shoot well from the free throw line. Um, so that gives you kind of hope a little bit, but um, he's not going to be taking a lot of 18 footers coming off the bench for a playoff team. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with your assessment of Stevens. Like I am like, I think I've got him ranked similar to Fitz. I, I don't love him. But, but like mostly just because of the offense, I do think he could be like pretty impactful on defense. Like you mm-hmm. said, I mean, he moves well. I think his instincts as a weak side rim protector are pretty good. Like yeah. he's not like a crazy vertical athlete, um, not a crazy quick leaper, but makes solid rotations. And, you know, it's good on the ball, walling up, mirroring. I think all of that, like he could be like a pretty decent, like three, four defender. Um, I'm just like, I think I don't, I don't really know how like immediate of an impact he can make just because I don't know how he gets on the floor on offense. Like, yeah. The, the, the shot like I mean the, the free throw has been okay but like he he he's never taken a hundred threes in a season um like you said like the 18 footers like that's like a generally a sign for you know plausible pull-up translation uh eventually but like he his, the decision making is rough and I, again like I don't think he's he, he's never been someone who's really you know getting to the rim very often and breaking guys down so I think his again like he's a guy who has to be kind of like a a spot up a spot up stretch four who isn't a very good shooter um i i mean i think certainly he could like find his way onto a bench but like in, in like high leverage situations like you really have to be able to play offense or be like totally exceptional on defense to, to get on the floor and i think that's kind of overlooked like like someone gets like like a, a player like like lou dort who has like kind of a, I feel like a lot of hype as like this like a role player who like shut down Harden in isolation. But like to me, like I really don't buy him as like a high level role player because he is an absolute zero on offense. And just like especially as you go deeper like into the playoffs and, and against tough teams, like you you can't afford to just have nothings on offense because defenses will exploit the hell out of that. So I, and I think that's kind of a, a, another one of like my biggest concern with Stevens is one like 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 you talk about like he's got to like scale his role down way 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 like like from a guy who was you know like thirty usage in his senior year to someone who is never going to run any offense at the NBA level. Um, so I mean he he really has to shoot. Um, to stick and like I, I'm not sure how good of a shooter he's going to be like if he can shoot again I think he can stick but I think one they're more more worthwhile like if he can shoot best like I think Fitz is like probably more more worthwhile because he is likely to be a pretty good shooter and like just the chance of Stevens like being a good shooter especially like I, I feel like Stevens like someone who's going to be either a late second round pick or undrafted on a two-way like a team 
is not going to have a huge lease for him. Probably going to stick him in the G League for a while. So, yeah, I mean, Stevens, again, like I, I wouldn't begrudge any team for taking a, a flyer on him late in the second because like he is like a pretty, pretty impressive forward defender. No doubt about that. But just th- that, that team also has to be aware that there's a lot of work to do with him offensively. So. Yeah, definitely. I think kind of what I bring it back to as well when I when I'm trying to look at these guys and, and what I, when I have been uh, like just looking at free agents even coming in um, I think this it sounds really cruel to put it this way but the floor is you look at a guy like Thad Young I love Thad I think he's maybe my favorite pacer of the last 10 or 15 years like he's just awesome dude love his game I, I think he, uh, the this this is an aside but the moment I knew I was weird about basketball is when I think it was uh, junior year of high school we were all like watching, um, we were in my coach's practice room and we were watching uh, like clips of guys during uh, study hall. So everyone's watching LeBron dunks. And like, um, I think at this time too, like the Marcus Cousins was still really good. So we watched like the Marcus Cousins in the post. And I was like, well, I'm going to look up Thad Young highlights. And I watched him. He has like the weirdest lefty post game ever. Like he has like, I think he like releases the ball before he even gets out of his, uh, out of his, into his jump, which is like, it's such a weird follow through. So he always gave people problems, but like, um, but yeah, so that's my aside, but like looking at guys, like you see what happens to Thad Young in the playoffs. Like he's a passable shooter during the season teams will lay off him, but then in the playoffs, if he actually gets forced to become a shooter, like he's just, he, he can't do anything. Like he's, he's not, a, doesn't have a good enough handle to really um, up impact anybody off of closeouts. Um, and I mean, he's obviously really good around the rim, but you have to get him those touches as well. So I think you look at these guys and you're like, well, okay, you, you have to be able to do more on offense than that did because what he did didn't translate well enough to the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's like totally spot on, honestly. Like Thad, again, like also one of my favorite pacers of all time. Like I love Thad, but like he's just not good enough offensively. And like I think you saw it in like in like the multiple year, multiple recent like Pacers Celtics series where Boston would just like ignore him and yeah. you know n- like just kind of say like let Thad shoot. And you know Thad is you know a, a, like bluntly a pretty bad offensive player. Like he has never been a great shooter has like some good like a solid decision maker and like hustle glue guy but is like a definitive negative on offense despite being like a supremely valuable like versatile wing defender like that just shows you like how good you have to be on offense to really survive in the playoffs because like you said i mean i think it's almost easier to compensate for like the inverse like uh just like having a player if a player is like really potent offensively you like you can hide them and and you can like scram switch and do things but like like you can get a bad defensive player to the point where it doesn't matter but it's it's, i think it's a lot harder for like a really bad offensive player to you know just like to get him to work like unless they're like totally generational like Draymond Green level and that's not saying Draymond Green is a bad offensive player because Draymond Green is is a very good offensive player yeah but even like I mean even in the last finals I mean not well not last finals finals before I mean his shot's gone so like even then you saw him having issues against the Raptors because well he can still do stuff in the short roll and he's a nice playmaker um as a as like a yeah I mean like he is like I'm as big of a Draymond guy like as any. Like I love, you know, I'm I'll, I'll go to bat for him as you know one of the best players of all time and one of the best defenders of all time. But yeah, I mean, he's a a, a player who needs 
um, the specific team construction around him. And then again, like it shows like how important like self-creation is and then shot creation is like, he is like the best complimentary big of all time. Maybe like with his, like you said, the short roll pattern, the playmaking and the transition and, you know, being arguably the best defender of all time. And like, that's why he can you know, obviously still be a plus in the playoffs. Cause like he's that level of a defender, but still like, they, like, like you said, there are instances where like, it's a problem for Draymond, especially this past year when, you know, they, you, you go from Steph and Clay and Durant to like D'Angelo Russell and Damian Lee and those guys. Like it's like, so yeah, I mean, it just shows like how important it is to be good on offense and to have players who like make intelligent decisions and can shoot and create their own shots. Like it's so important. Like it, you, you really can't overstate how important that is. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, uh, so this, this guy is going to be quick because I, so I, I came out with with like a bunch of guys that I want to talk about on this pod before I talk about some other guys in my next one. Um, this guy in watching him play, I mean, I think that there's stuff there that you can you can notice. Be like, oh, he might be like NBA impact, but um, Trey Tinkle might be Kyle Anderson. Are we sure he's not Kyle Anderson? Because he has like so much of that game. Like it's he's like I don't want to say like a mix of Kyle Anderson and, and like Joe Angles, but like one of the slowest wing players I think I've seen in a long time but he like he does some nice stuff though i don't know where are you at on him and, and kind of his game yeah again like tinkle I, I mean like i definitely my favorite of the guys we've talked about so far like i mean i like tinkle like a good bit i think he's like one mm. of the better second bet just i mean yeah. like six seven guys who shoot like that are are rare like to, to put it frankly like he again has a lot of issues like he, he is like alarmingly slow like you said like never like cannot break anybody down off the dribble is like really left-hand dominant as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, but just talking about like forwards who are that smart and, and that good shooters, like I, I think, I think he's certainly a good bet in the second round. Like never has been like a, a really great, per, like a, a percentage shooter in his career, but I'm not worried about his shot just because yeah. of the volume of his shots and versatility and the free throw has always been good. And this touch is nice. No, like, like he is, like he's a really smart defender. Like he, he, like he's good. I was surprised by that. Like he's actually, like he, yeah, he, he makes a lot of shots for yeah, somebody he's really smart. Like he's not like obviously like like he's gonna be athletically overwhelmed in the NBA. He, yeah, like he doesn't move really well laterally. Um, I obviously can't really defend the interior isolation, but he's like a pretty good weak side help defender. Yeah. Even if, lacks the explosion in the passing lanes like like is a crafty foul drawer does like a lot of things well to where again like towards the end of the, like the back end of the second round like he's the type of prospect you want to take a swing on like he can i think most certainly find his way into rotation because like he can shoot shoot the hell out of the ball at six foot seven and he's like really really smart so i mean i like tinkle as a second round bet he would be a guy who like i would love to get as the pacers yeah so he's interesting to me too because i think out of all the guys we've talked about so far um, again, like you mentioned, he's not going to beat anybody off the dribble, but off screens, he's a phenomenal decision maker with the ball in his hands. Like, I don't think he ran a ton of pick and roll at Oregon state, but he's somebody like looking at him. Uh, I would trust him like not to be the primary action for sure. But if, if he's like, if he's able to develop a two man game, like, especially if he's playing with someone like Demonis Sabonis, like off the bench, like you definitely see that as, as a real Avenue for him. Um, pretty good finisher inside too. He has like really good uh, footwork in the post. Um, and like you mentioned with the defense, I think that the only issue I have, like even, um, you know, cause I think he played mostly the three in college, but like uh, even laterally against some weaker college athletes, he struggled. But 
Like yeah. I, I, I watched a couple, like quite a few sequences of them playing in the zone. He was fantastic. Like, and I think that obviously the NBA is transitioning a little bit more towards zone. I don't know um, how much that's going to happen with the Pacers this year. I think it'll happen more because obviously Bjorkman's coming from Toronto and they did a lot of, I think the second most zone compared to Miami last year. Yeah, they so, play a lot of zone. Yeah. I, that, yeah, that's not actually thing I thought about. I mean, that's like, it would certainly be good, good for Tinkle. Like throw him in like the bottom corner of a two, three or something like that. Yeah, because he was interesting. Like we mentioned, Fitz not dunking a lot. I think Tinkle has even less dunks in his career, probably. Yeah, like, uh, I was just, the one dunk I saw him make. He has in, nine in dunks his senior oh. year. Yeah. Oh wow, that sounds about right. That actually sounds higher than I expected. But yeah, I mean, like quickly doing this math, probably probably wrong. He has like like forty dunks in his entire five year career. Like, <laughs> oh man, that's at like six foot eight. That, that's not good. Like, yeah. But that's not his game, and like I do, it doesn't have to be. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess the other question I have off that as well. I mean, you like you mentioned with with the shooting, and obviously took a high volume of threes. Was a good free throw shooter. Um, so how do you like kind of equate that? Like you know, looking at his shot and knowing, okay, well the percentages weren't great, but I think it's going to translate to the NBA. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Yeah, I mean, I've done plenty of research and writing on on shooting because I think it's a fascinating topic and yeah. like shooting projection because something that seems like so straightforward is like is a guy good shooter or not is like so complicated and and can be so difficult to parse out. Yeah, I mean, raw three point percentage is is not a mark I like to use. Yeah, at all. Like just because it takes so long to stabilize. Like like I think there is some research. Somebody who I can't think of did that that said, you know, it takes around 753s to stabilize. And in Trey Singles, 125 game college career, he took 557 threes. So like that's like not not even close to a stable sample. So you have to look elsewhere because there's so much variance when it comes to three point shooting in a small sample or even like a medium sample. So I think the most important important things to look at, first of all, volume, like good shooters shoot, like and especially like at a young age, like guys who are shooting a lot, even if it's not going in, that's something I want to see. And you don't really see a lot of prospects who shoot like a lot, a lot of threes and, and, and are terrible shooters. And then like shot versatility as well. Like I, I want to see more than just spot ups. I want to see off dribble jumpers, off screen jumpers, off of you know different flares and, and pin downs and different footworks and different types of, you know, forward motion pull ups and step backs and side steps and and more, you know, can you move off the ball and be a smart relocator? Those are all important things because the, the prospects who do more of more types of shooting tend to be successful. And, and, and an example I like to give of this is Terrence Davis versus Matisse Thibel, who, you know, two guys who came out last year who had similar. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't like to invoke Terrence Davis's name anymore, but yeah, same. Um, but he's, you know, just just, just for example, um, you know, like a, a guy who was a versatile shooter um, in college. Um, compared to Thibel, who wasn't and, you know, is a much better shooter than Thibel in the NBA. And I think that's one of the primary reasons, um, even if he's not that great of a guy. But we, let's not talk about Terrence Davis anymore. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, back to shooting. I think free throw percentage is also really important. Um, 
there's been like endless research done on, on the correlation between free throw percentage and, and shooting. I don't like to get too carried away with it. Um, cause I think people can get too carried away with it. Cause I think what you really, what I look likely for is like, first of all, you, you need like enough volume of free throws. Yeah. Um, and I think you need to look for really, what I look for is like, like I think if someone shoots like mid seventies from the free free line, that's not very predictive and doesn't tell you a lot. But if you have a guy who's shooting, you know, in the mid fifties or low sixties over a high volume or someone who's shooting in the high eighties or low nineties, like I'm that, that, that makes me confident in projecting them as either a very good shooter or like a not good shooter. Those are the main, those are the main aspects. There's, There's a couple more things like touch, which, you know, it just like it makes intuitive sense that prospects with great touch on the basket um, can develop that touch further out. But that's a really difficult thing to quantify. Um, yeah. I, so sometimes you can just see it, like with someone like Luka Doncic, like you just see it. Yeah. But with someone, but like again, like people have thrown around using like runner statistics, but they're just like players don't like not that many prospects take a lot of runners. And then there's the thing of mechanics, which I'm I'm no shot doctor. I I, I don't consider myself crazy well-versed in, you know, breaking down shot mechanics. But I think one of the some things you can look for, just like consistency, like, is their shot the same every time? Um, and then, I mean, you can look for obvious hindrances, like does his elbow flare way out? Or like, is it obviously like a slow two motion shot or does like his knees compress way inward? Um, but again, I think I tend to have the philosophy with mechanics. Like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like if a guy has clunky mechanics, but he's Jaron Jackson you know, to the team. Sure, man. Exactly. Like if he has obviously really good, you know, you'll see Desmond Bain get like in this draft will get people be concerned about his mechanics. But if you're like, obviously a great shooter and check so many other boxes, I'm not going to really worry about those mechanics. So that, that's kind of like the way I evaluate shooting. And I've, I've written about this, like it's very complicated. And even then I think some of it's just like, kind of like an instinct and like yeah. it's not in the, it's like like all of this is really like guessing like it's it's all hypothesizing because i mean there's no way for us to really know like what's going to happen with a prospect shooting development like i based on these factors and like just like i think trace tinkle's probably going to be a good shooter but like he very well might not be so like it's 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 really really tough like yeah like those but there's like some ways to make it i think a little more scientific so. yeah well uh We'll definitely see. And I think that's interesting too, because this is not somebody who I think is even going to be close to the Pacers draft range, just based on, um, you know, all the draft boards that I've seen. And, uh, but Robert Woodard is like a really good example because he was terrible free throw shooter, but shot like 40 plus percent from three in college. So that's like, that's an entire debacle that I'm glad I don't have to figure out because that would be like, it'd be really tough to look at. Yeah. I mean, Woodard is, yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly. Like Woodard is a pretty good example of, why this can be tough. Like, I mean, again, like, like what, what is real weird? Like he, like he shot, like he even like shot some threes off of movement as well. Like there's some, there's the versatility component. So I think like when you see someone like that, who like didn't take a volume of threes, like I think his like, like when you look at someone like Woodard, like he was like a bad free throw shooter, but the volume isn't there. Like I, I see him and I'm like probably a fine shooter. Like don't think he's going to be a total non-shooter um, mm-hmm. if, you know, a, a good team gets his jumper and, you know, develops it. But I don't think he's ever going to be a great shooter. Yeah, I mean, like, th- there's plenty of cases where, like, prospects will have these, like, you know, shoot 40% from three on low volume, like Tyler Bay, another one, like, and then, and then be a bad free throw shooter. Like, it's it, it's tough. Like, it really is. And, like, also, it's like so much of it is controlled by factors that, you know, 
people like you and I have zero intel or, or way of predicting like like development staffs and just like you know the players work ethic and what they're what exactly they're working on like we can have some clue like like teams teams like the Celtics and the Heat and the Pelicans like have a track record of of improving guys jumpers you know more than other teams like the Celtics you know with like Jalen Brown and big men like Aaron Baines and Daniel Tice and the Pelicans you know notably with Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram this year and you know, just so so we can, you know, if I see like a like a questionable shooter going to either of those teams, I'll probably feel more confident about their shooting in the future than you know if they went to some random team like I don't know like Cleveland. But like again, like that's like like only a factor. Like like I I like I would never bet on someone being a good shooter like fully confidently because of that one factor. Like it's just a whole confluence of things that is difficult to parse out and is really really nebulous. But there's there's some way to do it, and that's part of the fun of it. Like. You don't really know. Just trying to guess and like figure out and hope that you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, or, or I mean, even if, even if you're not right, I, I think the, the, the most important thing is just like understanding why you were wrong and using that to mm-hmm. refine your process. Cause I mean, I, I'm a big proponent of like process over results. Like, yeah. even, like, like you can have like the perfect process and like do everything the right way and you're still going to get some picks wrong. Like, like players are going to develop out of nowhere or someone's who you're sure is going to contribute might land in a bad situation and, and flame out like there's no way you can you can predict some of these things and you know i think it's important like there's like a culture i think of like ragging on people's misses and like propping up their their hits without really understanding why they missed or why they hit which is what's really mm-hmm. important because i think if you like if you're like okay like i missed on this prospect but i think the process was good you know you don't have to change what you're, you're thinking like if you missed on a prospect you're like okay i totally overlooked this aspect of his game obviously you know hindsight helps but yeah. i think that's you know, a, a place where you can go back and and say all right so where do they go wrong here and how can i uh, try to avoid this mistake in the future yeah, no, I think you bring up a lot of great points and that not, not even just in the draft, like in basketball overall, like it, process is so much more important than results. And and so I think, all right, the guy that I think I'm most confident in, in looking at this draft and that I think he will be something in the league and that I more importantly that I've enjoyed watching. I think Najee Marshall is like my favorite player I've watched. He's such a weird player. Um, he's not a great shooter, um, not really like awesome at any one thing but i think he's got the potential to be a really good defender obviously incredible wingspan for his size six seven seven foot wingspan um and he has like a really good driving game as well too with really good touch on the inside um he's just someone who i'm like i watch his game and i'm like i'm pretty confident that he's going to be something i don't know what he's going to be but I, I just like the the way that he plays and he's a not a good shooter, but he's a confident shooter, which I like that too. Like, I don't know if that factors in for you, but I think absolutely. Like, yeah. You look at a guy like he's willing to take shots. I think that's that's important to me because especially yeah, watching I mean, Miles Turner for the last five yeah, years. Yeah, that's like, the volume component. Like, you know, beyond like like again, like I think that being useful projection, like 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 Turner brings up a great example, like someone who is like a great three-point shooter efficiency. Like like he's always been a really efficient three-point shooter, but teams aren't scared of him because he doesn't take threes. So like that changes the way you defend Turner. Um, you know, as like as opposed to someone like oh, you know, I'll bring up Luka Doncic again, who shoots thirty-one percent from three. Yet, like teams will defend him like he's a shooter because he's willing to shoot. Like being willing to shoot is like half the battle. Like yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. So where are you at on uh, where are you at on Marshall? Yeah, you're speaking my language. I'm a huge Najee Marshall fan as like a second round like upside swing. Like I don't I think this is a pretty bad second round, even by second round standards. Like mm-hmm. there aren't just aren't a lot of guys I'm really going to bat for, like you know, like even compared to past years. But I really like 
Um, I, I really like Najee Marshall. Like, like you said, the the big thing is is the shooting. Where yes, Najee Marshall, the shot is a big question. Whereas, um, like like you said, I mean, he, he's never been a spectacular free throw shooter. Like like you said, he, he's willing to take threes, but like at some point when you know in his two seasons where he's actually shot a volume of threes, he shot under thirty percent, which is not great. Um, you know, starting to shoot more. He's pretty, he's pretty solid as like a long pull-up shooter, but not exceptional. So I, I, I think he's a guy who doesn't have the greatest shooting projection, but also isn't a total like non-bet issue. Like I think there's certainly a chance he develops into a passable shooter because, like you said, he is very willing to shoot and you know has shown some improvement over his career. But I, like you said, I, I love the driving game as well. Like his his footwork attacking off the catch is so good. Yeah. So smooth getting into his drives uh, with his burst and explosion and getting low and getting getting his shoulder dipping his shoulders and then you know being a pretty solid finisher though you know not the most vertically explosive prospect but is like really he's crafty he's pretty strong he's long he finishes with solid touch like you said and I think he's a pretty good passer like he he, he misses some more complex reads and his decision making isn't always the greatest but you know he 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 can make some like skip passes of the weak side and some like wraparounds and laydowns and passes with a little bit of anticipation at times so if he shoots i think he could be a really solid offensive player and then defensively i think he's pretty 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 good as well yeah like like his main utility to me is a guy who's kind of like um is, is kind of like like a trail defender like he's really good chasing around screens yeah. with his like that footwork is, is just as good defensively it is offensively like getting skinny around screens like um i'll shout out my friend zach milner who's like the og Najee marshall stand like who always i'll cite what he like his games against miles powell were like obviously one of the most feared like off-screen shooters in college basketball and he gives him a lot of trouble with his with his with his footwork and his lateral quickness and his overall length yeah, I mean, he's like, again, like, like I think a better on-ball defender against Smalls because of like the length advantage and the fairly good quickness. And he's not the strongest in the world. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think as a team defender, make, make, make some impressive rotations at times, but I do have my concerns about his, you know, overall defensive IQ and instincts as, as a rotation, as like a guy making defensive rotations. I mean, he has certainly has concerns like a 22 year old who struggles to shoot and isn't the best frame wise um, should raise alarm. And it does. And that's why he's like a second round prospect. But like he does a lot of really unique things and has a lot of translatable, like bankable skills that I think could be really good for the NBA. So, again, like I think Najee would be one of my top targets for in for the Pacers if he fell to 54. Like this, like you can never have enough like versatile defensive wings. So yeah, I'm totally with you. Like I love Najee Marshall, I think. I, I've gone from someone who was like initially pretty skeptical on him to someone who like after watching more is like very kind of in on him as like a as like a useful rotation bet in the second round. So yeah, I, I'm totally with you on Najee. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think too if he because his frame is pretty like it's not built out yet, and he his his base is a little bit higher than most guys. Yeah. Um, but I think I look at him and I'm like if he's able to meaningfully add add weight and strength, and I shouldn't even say weight if he's meaningfully able to add strength, like. Right now, I wouldn't play him at the four just because I think he'd get overmatched by some bigger guys. Um, but I think if he does meaningfully add some weight, he could be a real contributor at the four. Um, but like I think, like you mentioned with his defense, he reminds me a lot of Torrey Craig almost and, and in a good way because I think so many people get caught up in watching Torrey Craig play against guys who are way bigger than him or his size who he can't defend because he, he's very similar. I think Najee's probably stronger than Torrey Craig is because Torrey Craig is like a little bit smaller. Um, but like just fantastic at using their arms to, to keep someone at bay. And from, um, 
chasing them over screens like you mentioned i mean Najee's feet are so quick for someone his size like he's he's really good he doesn't misstep a lot and and he makes reads really quickly as well it bef- like notices moves before they happen um so I, I think yeah i'm really confident in him as a player moving forward but again it's just gonna be the shot it feels like everybody in the second round like if they yeah, can just shoot we'll see what happens there's, there's yeah i mean like the the if he shoots is like like a just a very common like in typical second round upside bet i think in the second rounds in terms of like realistic bests who can shoot like you you could call someone like like i don't know like if you thought Azubuki like became a good shooter like he'd be he'd be freaking awesome but like, he'd be that's, like an all nba player that's yeah. like unrealistic to project but like naji is someone who like yes like obviously shooting is a concern but but is like within like the realistic ceiling i think that's an important point like talking about like realistic ceiling like well like that's like obviously projecting ceiling and thinking about ceiling is important, but you have to consider like the realistic ceiling, like Najee becoming a passable shooter is like, I think totally plausible. And that does it. And that does a number for his game. Uh, but I think Najee becoming like a 40% three point shooter on good volume is pretty unreasonable, you know, without like outlier development. So that's another thing to consider. Like Najee, I think becoming a, a decent, a good enough shooter for his role is very within like the realm of possibility. Even if it's like a high end outcome, that's worth betting on in the second round to me. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I think right now he's the guy who I would pick if, if the pace were available at 54 and all were open. Yeah. yeah I think um, giving realistic options, I think I'm with you. But yeah. Yeah. And again, uh, again, it depends. Oh, definitely. Um, well, yeah, especially depending on what happens the two days leading up to the draft. Oh, man. Uh, so I think the last guy I want to talk about before I ask you about some is Nate Hinton. Um, I'm fascinated with him, man. I have never seen someone 6'5 attack the glass the way that Nate Hinton does. Because I remember the first time that I saw his rebounding numbers get hyped, I was like, okay, then Houston has some center who's just god tier at boxing out, or he just chases rebounds like a mofo and he does chase rebounds like a mofo but not in a way that's like counterintuitive so like i i mean and he, he shoots well as well um i i'm not super sure about his handle i didn't really see enough of his handle to know but overall like he looks at like a guy right away to be an impactful role player yeah um another one of my favorites uh i, I think honestly i i mean i actually like nate, nate Hayden a good bit better than Najee marshall just because mm-hmm. i'm like really confident in his defense um, yeah, I mean, Hinton's like Hinton to me is like a borderline first round talent. Like, I, he's one of my favorite second round targets. So you're you're hitting all the guys that I really like today. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, like the first thing that like the, the, the notable thing with him is the rebounding, which is so unbelievably unique. Like, just it's it's not even that like just he plays with a crazy motor, which yeah. he does, or like he tracks like, the ball really yeah, well, or that he's like crazy rangy and athletic, which he is. But yeah, his ability to like fly from like one end of the court like to exactly where the ball lands without any wasted movement, like just his understanding of like angles and the way the ball flies exactly off the rim is totally absurd like i have no idea how he does it like it's 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 one of the most fascinating things to watch um i I think that translates to his general team defense where like he's one of the best guys when it comes to like ground coverage or rotations which is increasingly important you know with an ever space floor like covering long tons of ground to make big steals and big blocks and and timely rotations i i love his defensive potential and then you know i think on the ball he's pretty solid like he's fairly laterally mobile and he's kind of strong but he's not like exceptional there even just being like six foot five offense is definitely the issue with him like you said he's a solid spot up shooter 
um, has always been good on spot up, no dribble jumpers throughout his college career. So I think he's probably going to be a fine spot up shooter, which if he's good enough on defense, like that might be enough to get him into rotation. Yeah. But I do worry about what, what else he does. Cause he's kind of effectively like a six foot five, four with his offense. Cause like you said, I don't think like there's a little handling where he can attack a closeout and maybe like hit a two dribble pull up, but probably not really to translate to the NBA level. Um, the passing, like a little bit of playmaking, but not that much there. Yeah. I think if offensive development is the key for him, but like just as someone like as athletic and as incredibly smart and who plays as hard as Nate Hinson does, like those, those prospects like him don't come along. And just like someone who is like as fun to watch and as just like kind of crazy as and cerebral as him. Like, I think he's, like and, and again, like like someone who seems like like you're gonna be able to get him in like the late second or undrafted at this point, based on like where he kind of lands on mocks like ESPN's best available, which to me is like the most valuable source of intel. Yeah, I think Nate Hinton is gonna be a second round steal for someone for sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm worried about like honestly, I mean, see, because that's the only thing I get caught up with because. I still just, this is where it comes into me for like how important is fit and upside. Like, I guess you look at Nate Hinton and you're like, okay, this guy could play and be a fantastic player. And same thing. I mean, obviously Najee could as well, but I think you look at Hinton probably a little bit better of an athlete, um, obviously already an established shooter coming in. Um, so I think it just becomes like, okay, well, how can you find a way to get him to the rotation? Cause you have like, um, I mean, the, the Pacers are filled with combo guards and small wings who can't play up a position. So, like, then I look at Nate and I'm like, I don't know, like, how do you even make that work? Yeah, I think you kind of have to treat him as yeah. a four because I think um, where he, like, maybe can't – I think guarding up on, on the ball, like, he's not going to be exceptional, like, certainly not as good as Najee would be. But I think, like, like he's going to, like, add legitimate rim protection value as, like, a six-foot-five wing, which is where I think you can get away with playing him mm-hmm. up a little bit. Um, which is kind of like the way I deploy him. And then, I mean, for the Pacers, I feel like like you can't really worry too much Like if you're getting a guy as talented as Hinton at like yeah. late 50s about fit per se because like they're like kind of like litany of combo guards slash wings. Like those are all like, like a lot of them are fringy and a lot of them could, you know, not be on the roster like super long term. Like we don't, we don't really like know like what, you know, what like the long-term outlook looks like for a guy like, like Edmund Sumner, like as mm-hmm. much as, you know, I personally like might, might want to like, like those are the types, like even like Aaron holiday, like the, the, the fringy players that, you know, can, can move quickly. So I think just having more of those, you know, like a guy like him, it, it can't hurt to, to get him and, you know, stash him and hope that, you know, hope that you can get him to do more on offense. Honestly. I mean, I think that's, that would be like a really good bet for them. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that he'll actually fall to 54? Because I think he's the I one guy know. I watched uh, out of, I think I watched like seven or eight guys today. And I was like, he was the one guy I watched. And I was like, I don't see how he falls that far. Yeah, I, I have to watch. Like, see, my problem is I've been watching all guys who are projected to go second round. So I haven't watched any of the first round talent, to be completely honest. Yeah. Um, but like, I think I watched him. I'm like, this is the one guy I'm like, why would somebody let him fall that far? I think, I mean, I, I think that's like, uh, that's kind of like the range you see him in in mock drafts which is like again like kind of ridiculous um uh i i don't know i i do i think i i could certainly see a smart team kind of going up and getting him but like espn on like their best available thing has him 57th which yeah i think is probably like like fifth i think 50s is kind of his range mm-hmm. which like again like it's, it's kind of crazy because like he's so obviously really really good um but like he's a guy who like because like he's someone who plays so hard and like has those like kind of like intangibles that teams like that maybe aren't like 
as important. But like he has those, and I think I could see him, you know, going higher. Like maybe he lands like the mid second or even a little higher. And if so, good for Big Nate. Like I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree, man. Um, so I, I'd ask you too. Uh, like if you had one or two names that you throw out there that you think would be good at at 54 that we haven't hit yet, um, who kind of comes to mind for you? Yeah, um, I think like as I do on pretty much every podcast, I'll mention Killian Tilly, who oh probably, yes, he's probably, someone probably doesn't fall. I think, mm-hmm. but I think is worth mentioning because just because of I think the chance that he is there that like you have to take him. Um, obviously, the big caveat and the big reason that Tilly even is you know getting that low is because of the injuries. Like he has never been able to stay healthy even before Gonzaga. But if he is healthy, even if you get like a little bit of Killian Tilly, like I think he's worth it. Even for a Pacers team that like is kind of loaded on bigs. I mean, even though like the future with Miles Turner and Savonis are uncertain, but like I think it's worth it for them to get like a like a true like tailor-made modern NBA big, like an elite big man shooter, uh brilliant passer and decision maker, uh, a a plus big man ball handler. And then defensively, like I think he's still very mobile despite the the injuries having zapped some of his mobility. He's still like plus mobile for a big man. And then just a really smart team defender, incredible communicator, making rotations on the backside, even if you know the defensive upside is limited because you know he's not incredibly athletic or, or big or strong or long. But he's like a perfect modern NBA big that like can contribute in the playoffs like soon to me. Like he like 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 I think he's like very easily like if if you could give me like Killian Tilly like who's like never had any injury problems I think you can like make a very strong case for him as a lottery guy, um but like that level of talent as someone who like falls in the fifty like to me it's like the Jonte Porter thing from last year yeah like I was like a huge proponent of his um but obviously you know went undrafted largely because you know two two, two ACL tears in like the span of a year is not insignificant but if you can get Tilly on the floor like he's he's gonna absolutely kill it so he's like the main second round name that I always think of like yeah he's someone I'm I'm really into but he's I think he's the most like ranged mock guy I've seen like I've seen somebody have him in the first round like towards the back end I've seen him like not go undrafted because I think that would be a crime but I just yeah I would agree if he's there at 54 I mean he's he's the guy I think at 54 if if he's oh, yeah. there but I'm he's like, like so, a long shot kind of oh yeah but yeah. I'm like I, if he falls 54 yeah, I'd be I like, doubt he I think the only reason if he falls that far is if like his medicals are really that dire yeah to the point where like teams are like all right we, we just cannot fix him and and in that case then I guess I, I understand not drafting him but like in any case where he's like not like that's not the case like yes his, his medicals are not going to be great just because of his history but like if they're even good enough I think it's probably worth it like, yeah no that's a great point because like um it's funny because I remember I somehow landed an interview with David West uh when I first started this up and uh he talked about like one of the main reasons he came to Indiana was because of the training staff. And he like name dropped every single person on the training staff. Um, you know, people I've talked to That's around the huge. league who are our trainers and um, are high up in, in, you know, the medical community around sports have, have talked really highly on the Pacers training staff. I mean, you look at like the guys on the roster right now, I think outside Domas, like all of them had pretty serious, like not serious, but like decent physical concerns. And I guess Vic now does, but he didn't prior. But like, I mean, TJ Warren was a pretty, like a lock to miss 20 games to start his career, had his healthiest season ever this year. Malcolm Brogdon, of course, dealt with injuries this year, but I mean, that was part of why they were able to get him. Um, 
I mean, Miles Turner, I'm sure you know from watching the draft, might have been he had one of the worst running uh running gates I think I've ever seen coming out of Texas. Like yeah, the I mean, fact the that strides he's made is unbelievable. Oh, like the the sheer athleticism that like he's not even that athletic now. Like, well, that's the wrong way to put it, but like he's still an, an yeah. incredibly he's athletic like person. But like a very He's like not like traditionally explosive, but he's like yeah. a uniquely gifted mover at this point, which yeah. is kind of incredible given where he started. Like, yeah, which that was like one of the main concerns for him coming out, and he's done a ton to grow that. So I think if the Pacers could get somebody with an injury risk, like I think that would actually be perfect for them because they're they're good at handling that stuff. Yeah, like the Pacers do like some things incredibly well. Like obviously, you know, like I think the main thing you think of with them is like getting guys to play defense who historically never did. A, oh, a yeah. lot of that, I a, a lot of that, I think. Um, gets associated with Nate McMillan and Dan Burke yeah. for good reason. And then those two not being around anymore, I think could change that. But still, like, I think the Pacers culture, like, doesn't just go away because, because those two go away. So, yeah, I mean, like, if the Pacers believe, like, they can, like, make Tilly stay on the floor, like, at least a little bit, like, that's someone you have to go get, I think. Yeah, definitely. So, who's your, who's your second guy that you're going to bring up? Uh, there's quite a few that I could, um, what I could names that I could go with. Um, I think I'm going to placate our friend, our friend, Tony East, who we talked about a little pre-show um, go with a guy that he likes a lot. And he's talking about uh, Sam Merrill um, out of Utah state, uh, six foot five, two guard. Um, I'll, I'll get the main issues with Sam Merrill is that he's not a great athlete. I mean, just not, not bursty. Can't really get by anybody at the, you know, on, on ball and is sometimes overwhelmed defensively. And then that he's are he, he at the at the time of the draft, he, he's twenty four and a half years old, which is like exceptionally old. And yeah. I think age is very important to me. Less important, I guess, later on second, but very important to me in terms of like, 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 are you gonna get? Like, I think there's a good chance. Like, like, I don't know. Like, someone like uh, I don't know. Like Josh Hall. I'll, I'll bring up Josh Hall again, just because I brought him up earlier. Like twenty years old. Like, there, I think there's like in in four and a half years. I think there's a good chance that he's better than Sam Merrill. But like Sam Merrill is really, really good. And you talk about like, like, I, I think there's no really like real bets to be immediate contributors in the second round, but Sam Merrill is just as like a totally nuclear shooter. Like all four years has been an incredible shooter, shot maker, you know, pull up, pull up shots off of movement on high volume. And just the efficiency has been totally elite, uh, elite free throw shooter as well. Like, like, like low, high eighties, low nineties on high volume over his last two seasons. So the, the, the shooting, you know, has him a role like immediately and then at six foot five. But then I think he has like some legitimate skills. Like he's an impressive pick and roll passer, like not like a crazy advanced passer. And, you know, his lack of on ball creation, I think, limits his, his passing upside since those two are mm-hmm. inherently linked. But coming off of like DHOs or secondary pick and rolls, like he can make some skips to the weak side and he, he, he hits wraparound passes well. And, you know, ha- he had like a kind of like a, a big with NBA tools in Nemius Keda. Um, who is again like a, like a, a, a center at Utah State that has like NBA size and length? So he's used to like finding and playing with those kind of players. So I think, um, and then, then defensively though, I think like he tries hard and he's like pretty smart making making good rotations. I think it's just like a, a shooting combo slash wing 
uh, more of a wing to me, like a shooting small wing with excellent decision making and passing and team defense. Like he's everything you want in like a second round gamble to, you know, make a rotation. And again, like for the Pacers, I think like he's a guy who can come in and play like soon. And like, yes, by second contract, he's already like 28. But if you can get like a couple good seasons at a Sam Merrill on like a rookie contract, that's really valuable, especially for a team like the Pacers who are, you know, almost certainly going to still be in the playoffs and in, in, like, like going to be in the playoffs or in the playoff kind of conversation like for the next four years you know granted they don't decide to blow it up which i guess is possible but seems unlikely yeah definitely well that i agree i i'm i, I like sam merrill from everything i've seen because i saw him like uh subliminally when i was watching league fits and they played utah state a couple times um definitely like him i know tony's really high on him uh, he talked with i think spencer perlman the other day and yeah. they talked about him for a while but um yeah we'll see on on that man i'm I'm just excited for the draft. It's the first time I've really gotten into it. So this is a, it's going to be exciting to watch, especially knowing like uh, kind of how things will shake out. And I, I still have no idea what to think because of what's going to happen on the 16th potentially. So there's going to be some crazy stuff that happens. Yeah. Oh, I would, I think right now, as soon as the trade moratorium lifts, I think it's going to be like free agency and how Brooklyn like nailed down three guys right away. I feel like there's going to be like three or four deals that pop up within the first hour of, of the moratorium lifting. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. Like I think draft is going to like, like, like that, that, that day. And like those couple days could really alter the draft. Like, oh yeah yeah front offices like, have had like way too I've, much time it's to do, like i've been it's like, it's like we've been it. like preparing for like this draft order like this stuff for like months now and then all of a sudden whoops we have two days too yeah and they're gonna be like well here's the, seven changes in the draft order that's so. part of the that's part of the fun of it <laughs> yeah exactly well ben this was fun man what are you uh what are you working on or, or what's going on in your life that's exciting yeah, so people know about the main thing um you know as like mentioned the top um i host co-host the preps of pro pod with max carlin we're doing multiple episodes a week nowadays with the draft ramping up and then right after the draft we have college basketball starting so we're going to be diving right into college basketball stuff in 2021 draft um, you know, as just as, and as we're finishing recapping and digesting this 2020 NBA draft. So it's going to be a lot of content and a lot of work, but a lot of fun. So, and then one more thing that's kind of exciting is we are doing a live broadcast during the draft on Twitch during, 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 during the draft. And as kind of like a live episode where we're going to have, we're, we're going to have on guests. Um, we're going to, you know, interact with the chat and take questions. So uh, if you want to come in towards the end of the night, when the pages make their pick and get my thoughts and Max's thoughts yeah, on whoever they end up, if you know, you or any, any listeners, like get, get our thoughts on whoever they're picking or, you know, if, if you'd love to, if you'd like to just like, have the ESPN broadcast or wherever you consume the draft normally on mute and listen to our commentary. That would be awesome. Or if not, just pop in and ask your question because we, we, we are going to be releasing that show as, you know, it's a crazy, a long episode once the the night concludes and after, but yeah, that's the main, that's the main thing I'd say. Go, go find us. We're on Twitter at prep number two pro pod. You can find us, you know, wherever you get our podcasts. And then for me, like I'm going to have probably a final board and written form out uh, at some point in the next week. I'm not sure what's going to look like just because of time constraints, but so, something like that. And then, you know, just more content on my Twitter. You can follow me at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore where I post all my clips and draft thoughts and musing. So yeah, that's about it. 
Yeah. Well, to everyone listening, obviously go follow what they do. Preps to Pros has been awesome in getting me ready for the draft and uh, they have some good chemistry. And, you know, it, 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 honestly, you guys are like, I trust you guys just as much as looking at ESPN or something with, with draft stuff. I'm not being, I'm not just saying that to be a kiss ass. Like you guys are good. I appreciate So that. to everyone listening, help out a Pacers fan. Go, go listen to, to yeah, Prep to Pro. I mean, it's fantastic. I- yeah, I, I mean that that was alluded to a couple times, but I I am in fact a Pacers fan. I don't talk about them much anymore just because of time, but I do love the Pacers, and I'm rooting for them to to land Najee Marshall or Nate Hinton or Killian Tilly or Sam Merrill in the second round. So I am very hopeful as well. Again, to everyone listening, be sure to listen um, to to anything we got coming up. I'll be sure to drop all of Ben's stuff in the uh, links below, links bio, something I don't know. We'll call it whatever. Um, but just most importantly, have a good rest of your day and go Pacers.